Hi, I'm Mike Lesseter from Farm Equipment, No-Till Farmer and Precision Farming Dealer Magazine. Welcome to our latest episode in How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs. For today's podcast, I caught up with Illinois-based Greg Sauter, the founder of not one, but two revolutionary ag technology companies. First was Precision Planting he launched in the early 1990s, in which he sold to Monsanto for a quarter billion dollars in 2012. The second was 360 Yield Center, which came after a one-year hiatus launched in 2013. During a very busy farm show, Greg allowed me to switch the mics out on him and sit him down in the chair. And if you've ever seen him on the farm show circuit, you know what I'm talking about. On the stage or down in the soil pit, you'll find him educating rows of crowds on the science behind his technology with a unique brand of showmanship to boot. There's times when product just flat out won't work. It's what you do that next 24 to 30 hours that's gonna make the difference. When you bring those people together, it's never about, Mike, what did you do? How did this happen? If you do that, you're done. You bring them together, you say, team, we have a major issue. In the next 12 hours, we have to discover nobody goes home and, and we stop sales. You put out a notice to dealers, it's painful. And you say, look, we, we think we have an issue. We're gonna hold and you bite the bullet and you do it. If you have that and the word spreads, that a problem can turn into the best thing that ever happened to your business. It's how you handle it. That's founder Greg Sauter explaining the mindset needed for what he calls e-speed or entrepreneur speed in pushing the envelope on ag equipment advancements. Greg and wife Cindy could have headed for the beach in 2012 after that Monsanto payday with precision planting. Instead, they dove in with another venture just one year later and what we know today is 360 Yield Center, which is steadily releasing several innovative concepts, including the Wide Drop Fertilizer Applicator. Before we cut over to Greg, a shout out for GKN Off-Highway Powertrain, who sponsored this podcast. So here we go, my farm show conversation with innovator and entrepreneur, Greg Sauter. Thanks for joining us here today, Greg. First off, the first question is just, uh, how you would define what 360 does? Well, my 360 yield center is all about a nitrogen. You know, we spent our life in planter and planter attachments. And when we made that switch and we started 360 yield center, we knew that nutrient by plant is where the future is going to be. And so we based all of our technology and engineering efforts around nitrogen. Um, without question, water probably first for yield. And then nitrogen comes right in beside, behind that. It's a high input. And at the same time, it can have a tremendous impact on yield. So that's where we really focus. We key in on it, and we really hone in on that, that area. Tell me about the, um, the start of your, your uh, business on the supply side, going back to 1993 when you and your wife started the first yeah. company. You know, we've been fortunate. Um, and I'll just say this, it's not easy to start over. Um, you know, a lot of times I think we think, we oh, we'll just do it again. You know, precision planning, we had a great team of individuals. And, and you'll quickly learn when you're in business, it's never about yourself. It's about the team that surrounds you. We had a really good, solid team. We built up quite a following of the distributors. Uh, distribution, our dealer network is, is tops, unmatched. And so when we started 360, you know, with agreements and stuff that we had, there was a five-year non-compete in there that makes it really hard. Handcuffs come off on June 21st, so that's been a lot of fun. We're back free to move in any direction we want to move. So the challenge was, 
you know, we started in 1993 from the ground up. We were a farm family, we didn't have a lot of resources, and we just build it one step at a time from the ground up. When I started 360, I said, you know, I don't have all that much more time, and we kind of started from the top down, the opposite side, and we went out and found the right talent. And we brought them in, and it's been, it's been very successful for us. It's a different approach. At the same time, then you'll have some turnover, because when you bring in that kind of talent, the, everybody is looking to bring those kind of people on their team. So there's been some movement back and forth, but at the same time, it's been a real pleasure. I enjoy the challenge and the getting it to be where it needs to be. The end result is the same. We bring technology to help farm families get better. I, I am driven to help young farm couples be successful in farming. So to do that, you need technology that's simple, but very effective. In other words, you gotta price it right, but it has to be able to have a good outcome. You have to be able to move the needle on yield. And if you can do that and change their profit schedule, you're gonna be in the driver's seat. So a lot of our, as far as our um, moving of dealers, a lot of those same dealers come on board with us. It's been a real pleasure to work with them. Uh, we have a great relationship with them, so it's been a lot of fun. This was five years ago when Precision Plants was sold, correct? That's right. So a lot of people could have said, this is the dream. This is to, to cash it out. Could have gone put your feet up on a beach somewhere. Tell us about why uh, you did what you did next. I hear that all the time, you know. And uh, we're probably working harder now than we've ever worked in our life. And I felt like we were pretty busy before. So, and we have a lot of different entities. I mean, we have a pretty good sized farming operation. Um, you know, we, we have farm ground in three different states. Illinois is about 6,500 acres that we really key on. Almost all those acres are research, which is a lot of fun. That's, that's where it really starts and learn. Um, obviously, we have a dairy. So we have seven children, and all the children are involved. All of our kids are involved with us in business in one aspect or another, whether that's on the farming side, and the 360 side, or the dairy side. And so that's what Cindy and I tick for. So it was never a question that we're going to take this this income and just relax it was what can we do how can we change ag you know commodities prices are what they are and you and i quickly learned we can complain about them but we can't change chicago board of trade but what we can change is how we manage our businesses and detailed and how we are willing to change our farming systems whether that's in the cover crops or, or strip till or no-till or full till whatever works for you. And we work with the nation, we work in unformed countries, so people have to adjust. But if they're frozen time and they say, you know, Greg, I have no line of credit to try something different, I really worry for them. You have to be willing to adjust within your system. And that's what we've always based our, our business on education. Education's always the key. We will, we will do meetings here nonstop for three days we're going to present solutions to problems. It so happens we believe we have the right solution, but you're not going to hear us say, what you need to do is buy a bullet ripper point or fill in the blank. We're saying, we believe this is what is happening in the cornfield. Here would be a solution to it. So that's how we always base all of our promotion is on educational seminars. And we work that angle of it. Did you learn that focus in the early days of precision or had you always... I think we'd always done that. I've always been involved in grower groups and high yield clubs. Um, Ken Ferry, um, really good agronomist, probably one of the best in the country. Worked personally with him for years and years. And I, and I watch his grower groups and I'd see guys that would fall off out of that grower group because they just couldn't adapt. And we would go to their farms and they'd have the same problem year after year after year. And I'd be like, after the fourth year, I'm like, 
we're done here. I mean, we've been here four times to talk about the same problem and you're not willing to fix it. You probably just need to stay here and we need to move on. And so I think with precision planning, it was about create products as fast as we can and educate what the need is and then bring that technology out at an affordable price. We always worried about return on investment. The ROI, to me, the dream product is when it's simple, very effective, and it pays for itself in half the growing season. So half the planting season, half the nitrogen season, you broke zero, and now you're adding money. That's when growers say, I can see that we need to invest in this. That's our business plan. To do that, you need to be what we call e-speed, entrepreneur speed. The other one is BC, which is big corp speed. So it'll take John Deere, and I don't mean to be beaten up on him, but it takes them three to four years to bring out a product, and it should, because they have to protect their customer base, their brand. And individual business like we are, we take risk beyond measure. Growers know if they deal with Greg on a new product first year, it's probably going to have some problems, but they have to trust that we're going to stand behind it, which then means we get a lot of acres and we get a, a rapid introduction. We'll fix it on the fly. We'll make it right to the grower. And so there's tremendous trust, and you never violate that trust. You always stand behind your product. And so a lot of people aren't comfortable operating in that well, we, as a company. You know, at Precision Planning, we took tremendous risk in it, it here. You know, we've designed some new products here in six weeks. We call it the Blitz. 12 engineers, and, um, you know, the day after our agreement, fulfilled we met for a full day and we mapped out a six-week blitz and it worked it's not always going to work that way but you should be able to bring a product out in an eight months to year time frame if you're focused and you've got the energy behind it so that's what we call e-speed a lot of companies are trying to copy that caterpillar you'll see them use it all the time now in the peoria area they think we know we've met with them and they they talk about being an e-speed and uh don't think that's going to happen in that large corporation. It can at 360 because we're so small and nimble, which can be a problem because we can turn so fast in the water, our PT boat compared to an aircraft carrier, you can turn and make a mistake. Sometimes you can overreact. So that's where we really got to just easy as we go. But that's what I enjoy is having that speed to market and the ability to react. The opportunity that you had seen with 360 yield center was it because of that that the, the, the other players were big battleship and there was yeah i mean that's uh we know and it sounds arrogant we need to be really careful but we can drive the market and we can from the back here we we can aggressively change the marketplace with with the right solution and we'll enter in an area and we will key in on a focus and you'll see the whole industry start to shift so obviously we patent and um, for any small businessman, I mean, it starts with understanding and a patent really doesn't guarantee anything. It gives you the right mic to go into court and raise your hand and say, your honor, I have this idea first. But after that, you know, you have to defend it. So in the land of giants that we live in OEMs, you see a lot of consolidation and it's going to come down to just a few handful of players. And so we always are concerned about that. Well, how do we fit in? And we, you know, who do we align with? And uh, it's no mystery. We're aligned with deer, and it's, it feels really good. You know, for 23 years, we were just head-to-head. -head. And after that, uh, when we sold Precision, you know, we got together, and they said, Let, let's work together. And that has been really, really good for us. It feels good. They're a pleasure to work with. We have a great relationship with a lot of their dealers, a different set of dealers than, like, our 360 dealer. But yet, it's, it's a combination has really helped us. Yeah. So, tell us about 
your path to where you were like, at age 15, age 20, what you thought you were going to be doing and, and the path that oh, I where you ended up. You know, my, I was never satisfied with the way equipment ran. So we, from day one, we've always tinkered. I can remember long before we even had a farm shop, I'd be laying out a white rock drive of nothing but a vice grip and a crescent wrench and trying to reshape and rebend and re-weld. Always enjoyed that side of it. Just always trying to make it one step better. You know, precision really started when I went to 20 inch narrow row corn in 93. Planters weren't designed to do that. And so we immediately started to reinvent the meter so it would singulate at that low RPM. And that's really what started the whole path. And once I jumped in, I said, man, these meters need a lot of help. And so in our own shop, we just were building our own. We had a 20 row planter. I was just tinkering and, and designing and building for that 20 row. And pretty soon neighbors started coming and saying, well, can you do mine? You know how that goes. So Cindy and I decided, you know, we were raising hogs and that wasn't fun. And we were not making any money. And uh, I said, you know, let's, I see a need here. And so we just started custom setting planters and it just grew. And, um, you know, OEMs made the decision, right or wrong, that they weren't going to sell us planter parts, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. And when they said, you know what, we're going to shut you off. We can see that it's growing so fast. You know, we were spending millions of dollars on parts from OEMs. And I finally, and they shut me off. I said, great, we'll just make our own. And that's how it all started. Yeah. We just... That happened early 90s? That happened early. Yeah. You know, by 97, we were starting to make our own planter parts because we just couldn't buy enough. Best thing that ever happened to me. So a lot of times when you get those disappointments in business, it's an opportunity. It looks like a real roadblock. And you say, oh, crap, what in the world are we going to do here? You know, how are we going to meet the demand? Well, get creative and figure out a way around it. And it's not always the easiest path, but it's usually for the best. So that would be, I take it, that would be a, a major defining moment in your career. And what, what would some of the yeah, other- Yeah, well, I think when we hired our first professional engineers, when we, um, the year I hired three really good Cracker Jack Young engineers, at that point, we knew no bounds. And we said, we're gonna design a precision meter from the ground up. And then we said, we're jumping in the vacuum side and once we knew, and we developed the recipe, it's no different than uh, when you bake cookies or a cake. And once you figure out the system of inventing, and you understand how rough prototypes test smoother, better, second gen, we always call it second gen, third gen, fourth gen, and rapid prototyping. You know, I think it was about 1996 to 97, 97, when I really built the big shed when we first started to be in business. And then Derek come in about then. And then the year, we had two more, two from Caterpillar and one from Deer. You know, we're in a hotbed of really raw talent. Caterpillar's actually 15 miles down the road. Deer's only an hour and a half. And so we look for the young engineer that's six years in the workforce. And he is done with the corporate speak. In other words, the politics. Uh, and he's saying, I'm ready to make a difference in a unique way. He's willing to take risk. When you come to a small family operation, there is no guarantees. I remember when I hired the first one out of Caterpillar, his family was having a fit. They said, you're going where to what? A farm family in central Illinois? And uh, he became an all-star, unmatched. The products that he designed, unfortunately, you know, he had a young family and he got severe cancer and uh, we lost Derek. But, you know, his family's basically like our family. But the impact that he had, and I'll never forget, about two months before he passed away, we had a large gathering. And I did the math. He had a real heart for the Lord, too, and he helped a lot of people. But the impact that he had on agriculture, when you looked at the massive numbers, 
of all the things that he did with precision planning, it was unbelievable. So, so that's what that's what it's about. You know, it's people that make a difference. I'll never forget the year we figured out that we could rapid prototype something in seven days. And with the new 3D printers at that time, which was just brand new, and we were sending it off to Chicago, we could send a print, and in seven days we could get back a plastic part, true, not very strong, but enough that you could test it for 15, 20 minutes before it broke. That changed our whole world. Once we discovered that rapidness of what we could do, then we were off to the races. And so then we said, well, once we did it once, why wouldn't we follow the same path? And so we would start the IP path. We would start rough Gen 1, prove it out. Gen 2, a little better. By Gen 3, we'd say, this is going to work. And we, we would start, we'd get it in the field, put it to test. In fact, one of the gentlemen here, we work close with New Zealand is here. We're hosting his family. Great family from New Zealand. So we'll start planting corn in October. We're harvesting corn in May. So we're around the world. We're constantly planting and harvesting all the time. So there's never a time when we can't find a spot in the world to harvest. And you build those relationships, and their farm families just like Sydney and I. They got three kids. You know, they do a lot of custom work farming, 13,000 acres, and they have a passion for getting it right. So they'll work with us, and they know the pain of a first-time product. Cornhead stopped, combine sitting. Our engineers are climbing all over it, and they got to be just tearing their hair out. And we laughed at them yesterday when they were here. We said, how painful is it? And he said, don't ask. <laughs> but he said, I love it. And so... You know, they're the first in, they're early adopters. So then, of course, we provide product and we keep them running. Well, you build those relationships, and that's what keeps your company on the cutting edge. You have to move fast. So I don't know if I ever answered the question why we didn't go to the beach. It's just not in us. You know, I'm just driven to make things better. And, and there's something about meeting a grower. You know, when a grower walks up to you and says, why drop, change the way I farm? And he'll have a story and you know he said greg i added eighty dollars an acre income there's something inside of you it's not about the sale so much it's about the fact that you made a difference now not maybe everybody's dna is the same i'm not saying that cindy and i don't want to make money but at the same time we realize you've got to build a business before it, the books aren't going to be in the black day one if they are i look at you you know so it takes time and you got to be smart about it and you build but that's why you surround yourself with people that have a unique talents. You know, our CFO is unmatched. The finance side, he's as sharp as they come. And so, the, you know, our project leaders are, are quality people that we've taken out of the industry that have come to us. And they don't come for money. They come for the thrill to hunt. To say, can we do something that no one's ever done before? To inventory both the good defining moments and the challenging ones that made you and your businesses who you are. What, what are the other ones? You know, there's times when product just flat out won't work. Um, I'll never forget, you know, we designed a special backing plate and uh, thought we had it. We tested, tested, we got a certain spot and it flat out just wore out. And 100 acres, it, it was wore out. And I'll never forget those first calls. And then how you react at that moment. Um, you know, there was a time and we had a bad roll of steel go to a supplier and all the fingers and the mechanical fingers were all of a sudden were starting to break. There's about 30 hours there. Once you just you hear it, it's what you do that next 24 to 30 hours that's going to make the difference. You draw your team together, usually bring three of your best together, and you have to find, first of all, you got to find the solution. And then, okay, then once we find what we think the problem is, how are we going to fix it? When you bring those people together, it's never about, Mike, what did you do? How did this happen? 
if you do that, you're done. You bring them together and say, team, we have a major issue. What do we need to, in the next 12 hours, we have to discover. Nobody goes home and, and we stop sales. You put out a notice to dealers, it's painful. And you say, look, we, we think we have an issue. We're going to hold. So you have about, like I said, 30 to 48 hours to come up with a solution. And eventually you'll find it. And you bite the bullet and you do it. And if you have that and the word spreads, that a problem can turn into the best thing that ever happened to your business. It's how you handle it. So the team's got to rally. They got to get over, give them about five minutes of disappointment and say, okay, now we're ready to go to work. Let's fix it. And um, we've all had those moments. And you think at the time the world's coming to an end because the phone lights up. And uh, if you're in software, you're going to have those moments. You know, I'll never forget, we had a software program where planners all of a sudden just stopped. And when you stop a planner, that's a bad day. And, you know, we had figured about eight hours to get in. We got the bugs fixed. Uh, it's all hands on deck. It's painful. And it's how you react and how you come out of it is going to set your tone for your business. Those things sharpen you. And your people then start to trust you to say, you know what, there isn't anything. We got, it almost sounds cocky, but we got so confident at Precision, we're that, getting that way at 360. We say, we believe we can fix about anything of our products that are misperforming, but it's going to be pain. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to, it's going to cost us more and we're going to have to put the effort in. So that's what you get. You surround yourself with people that don't back up. If they get in the truck and go home and it's eight o'clock at night, you're in trouble. If you're having trouble, you know, that's, uh, that's just the way life should be. So that surrounding yourself with people who don't back up, how, yeah. how, what have you learned in terms of people you bring into your organization? Yeah, I get, I have people ask me all the time, how in the world did you find so many talented people? When I hire, obviously I'm not the only one in the interview, but I'm looking them in the eye. It's just as simple as this. If the ball is going to go across the line out of the court, are they going to die for it? Your degree is somewhat important. I mean, you got to have the basic fundamentals. But if you have a master's or a doctor's degree in engineering, I could really care. I look at you, number one is, will you fit in the team? You can never bring somebody in a team of 12 to 20 that's going to be dynamite and blow it up. They could be the greatest single all-star three-point shooter in the world, but if the team then fractures, you've really lost. I'm always watching for that. I look them in the eye. I want to see some spark there. I want to see some drive. Usually we're hiring young. Uh, when I say young, I mean five, six years out of college or even younger. We also run six interns every year from Purdue, from Iowa State, Illinois, and I'm test driving them. You know, if I was a young engineer and I wanted to really learn, I would go to a company like ours and say, don't pay me. I just want to work for you for nothing. Now, we pay them, obviously. But we're only going to take six, and we might have 15 that we interview. If you really wanted in with Greg, I would just come and say, I want to do everything I learn, everything I can this summer. And I want to be on a project that matters. I don't want to be over in the corner, you know, measuring increment parts. I want to be where it matters. And so we really work hard on hiring the right people and getting the right team assembled. You're cut different than a lot of people in the industry and, and the drive, the ambition, the appetite to do more. And if you were, could shrink that down into the look at your own DNA, what do you think contributed to that? You know, we were raised as kids. We didn't have much. And uh, it never bothered us. I didn't even know, in all reality, Mike, that we didn't have a lot. You know, and I think it was, we learned to work first. You know, that's why we dare. I'll just tell you, the reason we dare is so we can raise our kids and learn how to work. <laughs> and, um, you know, our dairy has done very well. I mean, we're in genetics and that. But you set that foundation, how you work and how you think. And um, 
that's really critical to Cindy and I and our children. Um, and I think I had that from my dad. You know, we were struggling farmers, so we built grain bins on the side. You know, we knew what hard work was, how to pour concrete, how to build a bin a day. And, and, uh, we, and it was always about figuring out a faster, better way. That's what's always driven me. So my DNA is not the backup. I love the growth. You know, if I can buy a poor farm and fix it, that's probably what gives me the, my, if you say, what's your recreation? It would be buying a farm for $4,000 less than any other farm in the area. And then end up within a four year period, making a better word, pattern tile it, put irrigation on it. Um, you know, do the, all the environmentally correct things, fix all the ditches and, and the drainage ditches and do that. that that drives me and there's that reward and then it's known for the next several generations the success that our grandkids and their kids will have so um i don't know that's just the way i'm made i probably got more energy than i should have i don't know um i don't ever think about how old i am um that's not something and, you know we work all the time so on weekends we're chorn and uh, but that's what we enjoy because we're doing it as a team all the kids all of us are together that's what we like we'll get back to the conversation with greg in a moment but first i wanted to share a few minutes with jan fasten of gkn the sponsor of this podcast We're uh, fortunate to have Jan Fasson in our offices here in Wisconsin today. Jan is the sales director of GKN Off-Highway Powertrain. And uh, we wanted to take the opportunity while he was here to ask him a few questions about his business and the view of the farm equipment industry here in, in North America. First off, in the most brief direct terms, how, would you, how do you describe what your company does in the farm equipment space? You know, we're a manufacturer of drive shafts. The Walter Scheid brand is, is our brand and uh, well known uh, for the longest time in Europe, but uh, more than 50 years also in, in, in North America. So we're the connectivity between what the tractor guys do and what the, uh, the short liners do in terms of uh, uh, providing implements. And safety is being a, a part of that. We, you know, we make a solid and quality product and uh, one that... Uh, that allows that connectivity. Uh, we feel that we differentiate again by, by by providing a product that delivers durability and a known performance. I think that's one of the things that's uh, allowed us to stay the course of the industry. Uh, the person that's shopping for a, a rotary cutter, a baler, a piece of uh, equipment generally would would recognize. You know, if they're using drive shafts, they they should recognize our our product as uh, as one that uh, is of, of a quality. And this podcast is being listened to by farmers, dealers, mm -hmm. fellow manufacturers. What's life like as a supplier of those components that uh, maybe people don't realize? There's a great pleasure when uh, you're meeting really innovative people and you're in on the early stages of their product design and you're putting on the boots and you're going out in the mud and you're seeing what works and what doesn't work. And part of the fun is uh, these guys come up with wonderful ideas and things that shouldn't work on paper somehow they fly and they, and, and, and they deliver and, that, and it's great to be a part of that. You know, our, our engineers are really passionate about helping our customers, uh, getting out with our customers, doing, you know, uh, torque meter tests, you know, understanding what the horsepower and the real loads are, 
Uh, and at the end of the day, you come home muddy, but when you see that something's really working and going to deliver for the farmer, it's more than business. That's a, that's a, that's a great feeling. So a lot of the small manufacturers are family businesses. The owners are very, very much involved with the business. And, and while um, most of these guys uh, roll up their sleeves and they're very creative, not everybody's an engineer. And so when it comes to geometry and the technology that goes into to applying our products, uh, absolutely. Uh, our customers welcome very much our engineering support and, uh, and our guys are passionate. You know, we, uh, we enjoy uh, getting to the far-flung places of uh, the U.S. And, uh, and, and getting in with the small customers. Don't get me wrong, uh, the big OEMs are, are important for us as well, but uh, uh, there is a certain pleasure to, to, to dealing with a, with a guy who's uh, uh, been at this all his life and taken in an idea and, and, and grown it into a piece of working equipment. So. I know that uh, you travel the world for your, your work and you have a, a depth of knowledge of farm equipment across many, many different markets. Um, that's why Dave Kanicki and I uh, like to pick your brain. You've alerted us to some trends and some opportunities that we've ended up covering in ag equipment intelligence. What are you telling your customers, so I know come to you for more than just the uh, the components, but the knowledge of what's happening out there. What are you seeing trend-wise? I, I've had a long stint of working in South America. I helped set up our uh, operations in Brazil. And I've always been amazed as I sit in the airport on some of those trips on my way home. Uh, I, I've met plenty of farmers from Illinois that came down and invested in land in Brazil or South America to take advantage of the, the multiple growing seasons. And so um, you know, I, I've been approached by some of our uh, customers about making contact with uh, other companies or, or, or in Brazil or uh, trying to get equipment into that market. Uh, you know, it, it seems a little daunting at first because of some of the import duties and taxes and so forth. But, uh, you know, with the right direction, it's, a, it's an interesting and, and, and profitable market to be in. Politically, it's a little bit crazy. But then again, I, got, I can say that about our own country uh, uh, these days as well. You, you know, you just don't know what's around the, the, the corner next time in terms of uh, legislation or, or uh, you know, supporting or against, uh, uh, against our guys. But uh, South America, I, I, you know, always happy to, to, to point people in the right direction there. Uh, when we look at Europe, uh, because I'm part of a European management team, I, I do get a, a view of what's going on in Europe. Eastern Europe's continuing to be uh, of interest, I think, as uh, I see a lot of uh, used equipment from the U.S. somehow making it, or Europe making its way to, to Eastern Europe. But uh, uh, at the same time, I've seen some of those manufacturers taking some leaps and bounds in terms of adding technology. So, uh, you know, when you think of Russia and these places, uh, you know, they're not the old stodgy, you know, people that we have in our minds from the movies. They're actually looking at adding technology and value added to their, their products. So I guess I would warn, uh, you know, don't, don't underestimate our competition overseas. They're also looking at the U.S. as a, a market to come and bring products to. So. Uh, I see it as a two-way, you know, a two-way street for us. Uh, great opportunities in other countries, uh, but at the same time, I think we're going to see some challenges as uh, people start uh, roaming the U.S. and looking to to find some market share here. What was it that uh, made you want to be part of bringing this to market? This is a, a new launch. What? Why did you get behind it? 
Well, I think you, your interview, the people that you're interviewing, number one, I'm familiar with, uh, fantastic men, uh, innovators. And when I, when I think about our country and what makes our country great, it's people like that that, that really takes uh, and grow from nothing and turn it into something really spectacular. And, and, and a country that allows that opportunity is, uh, is fantastic. And I don't ever want to take that for granted. But, you know, when you look at these men and women that jump into businesses with just an idea, a little kernel of, of what things could be. Uh, that's powerful. I was really excited to hear about the, the program. I think you're honoring some uh, some really special people. I'm looking forward to, to, to hearing your interviews with them and, and understanding how they're uh, seeing our markets and, and what drove them to do what they did because a uh, big fan of uh, entrepreneurship and uh, and clearly you've got some, some real winners there. Personal story about you and I was just telling, I just went over this here with one of the people I was interviewing this mm-hmm. week. I, I remember when our paths crossed. It was 26 meetings ago <laughs> in a Florida FEMA meeting. Okay. And uh, you and I have kind of had some similar paths with that organization. Both did sure. our two stints on the uh, supplier board. Yeah. You were elected to the regular board of FEMA, and then I followed in your seat there. So we, we have a lot of common sure. friends. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned FEMA, and there's a lot of great manufacturing companies that are that are members of FEMA. It's an industry where even if you're in a room with your competition, the greater good of the industry seems to bring people together, whether it's... Uh, uh, warranty, you know, trying to lobby for warranty legislation or working for the greater good uh, on, um, you know, engineering specs or, you know, there, there's all kinds of committees. And uh, that's really an impressive thing for me. I remember my very first FEMA was nearly 30 years ago. And I had come out of a business that was rather cutthroat. It was bearings and power transmission. And, you know, your, your competitors were your enemies. And, and you come into, into the ag equipment business, and that's not the case. People are working together genuinely for, for, for example, Postal Digger. People are looking at how do we make a safer product that the farmer can go out, put a, put a row of fence in, and nobody uh, lose any limbs in life. That says a lot to me. It says that we have good people in our business that, that, that are looking out for our customers. You know, the fact that the Rotary Mower Council gets together, again, you know, better equipment, better safety. We're, we're, everybody's adopting things that, uh, that make sense to make this a better business and, and safer business for the, for the end user. That's, uh, that's something to take pride in. Any specific examples of we're together guys dug in and solved a problem? So we make drivelines. We're part of an organization uh, with, with our competitors for safety. There's a lawyer president and we all talk about safety. And I would say that, um, you know, as an antidote, uh, you know, for the longest time on drive shafts, you, you kind of had this extended push pin that, that, and this is going way back, showing, showing a little bit of my age here. But, you know, jointly we together decided, you know, even though this is a cheap solution, it works, it's approved. We as suppliers, see that this is a risk it's going to grab somebody's clothing and and so as a as a, as a driveline organization uh, association of, of all the driveline manufacturers we decided unilaterally to eliminate that uh, on our shafts it added a little bit of cost but everybody did it and and the market accepted it it was you know it was a safer product and uh, I'd like to think in the long run whether we, you know if we saved one life or mm-hmm. one limb that, that that had value so I, I would say that uh, again collaboration either with our customers or with our competitors to the greater good of the business that's kind of a special that's a special thing and that's a, as I said I'm pretty happy to be a part of that yeah thank you Jan 
Thanks Jan Fasten and GKN Off Highway Powertrain for supporting this project and Jan for making the drive up to visit with our editors today and to do this recording with me here. Personally appreciate your support to get this uh, project off the ground and getting these stories told before their their loss. It's been important to me and, and, and you've made that happen. So very much appreciate that. Now we'll get back to part two of our podcast, How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs. Thanks to Jan and thanks to GKN for sponsoring this podcast. And now back to Greg Sodder, founder of the original Precision Planting and today 360 Yield Center. In the next 20 minutes or so, he shares his early day worries about bankrupting his new bride, the product imagineering they did on the kitchen table with their kids' Play-Doh, and the importance of ignoring naysayers when pursuing a new business with passion. Could you tell me briefly a little bit more about Cindy and describe her? So here's a farm girl. Uh, She was a dairy girl. You know, when we first married, she worked beside me every day. I mean, she drove the grain cart. My dad would drive the semi and she drove the grain cart. I'd drive the combine. You know, she had two little boys of her and I had the baby girl of me in the combine. And then when she wanted to eat, we'd trade and back and forth. And, you know, those were the days we'd laugh. I remember sitting and eating lunch in the field, which we don't do anymore. Because now we have three combines running. It's just craziness. And, you know, we would stop. And we sat in the duel of the auger wagon tractor eating lunch, and we celebrated every load. And it, that was the days. And, um, and then over time, you know, as you get more and more kids, but she was always extremely involved in the business, knew everything about it. We share everything. So she's on her way down. So she did chores this morning here, dairy chores. And so she's on her way down. She'll be here at the show with us. And she's very shy, very reserved, but tremendous resource for me. She'll look, she'll understand other booths, she understands the competitors, she'll watch what we do, she critiques us, and it's invaluable for us. So our head marketing and I uh, really listen to her and we'll ask her point blank, what do we need to do different? And um, having someone that smart um, in business is really good. So in the early days, she was the business side. She did the finances. So she knows that side of it, so it's a lot of fun. To have a life partner like that, uh, I don't know how you put a value on that. So she gets a lot, a lot of credit. If she heard me say that, she would not like it. <laughs> so, but that's fun. That's what it is. Some of these other interviews I'm doing for this special project, there's there's always been some touch and go moments where it, it looked dark and there was a decision to go forward and sometimes the harder thing was to stay with it. Do you have some some touch and go moments? Yeah, let me think a little bit. You know, we had touch and go moments farming before I started that drove me. Um, I can remember laying in bed and uh, I remember the first year we didn't pay off the bank line of credit. I can remember it vividly. So we were farming, raising hogs, and I carried over $20,000 over the bank into the next year. And I was beside myself. And the vice president of the bank was a very close friend of mine. I said, Greg, you're doing awesome. Compared to everybody else, he said, you're having a great year. And I said, Brian, how can I be having a good year if I'm 20000 in the hole starting this next year? I saw no way to get it out. I remember laying in bed at night and just praying. I said, Lord, I didn't marry Cindy to bankrupt her. At that moment, I said, I'm going to change. And that's when we started to really grow. And that's the year I started precision planting. And it, it might, probably by divine intervention, but 
once I started and I saw how much need there was out there for other growers, I just threw caution to the wind and we jumped in. I did a meeting in the local area about setting meters. And that meeting, I got 600 rows. First year, we never had a clue what we were doing. All of a sudden, I had 600 meters in the shop. And I looked at Cindy, I said, well, we like it or not, we're in business. And so, you know, those were the things. We were not going to make it in farming the way we were going. I just was not going to make it raising hogs. It was just those years. My interest was 20%. And, and, and it was tough. You know, we got married in 81, and we jumped right in, and it, it was hard. It was hard. And so uh, I think that's what defined it. And business itself, I think back. I mean, there's always moments of struggling, you know, and you get a letter from somebody saying, we think we invented this before you. You know, there's that sleepless nights and things. But uh, all in all, we've been very fortunate. Um, you know, I get that all the time. Why did you sell? It was, why did you sell? And... Um, you know, when Monsanto come, it seemed like with lots of thought, I mean, a year and a half we took to decide. We believed it was the right thing to do for all of our people, for the farmers, because it looked like a system that we could work together on. And then it didn't work out all that well. So field scripts didn't come out to be what we hoped it would be. I get the question all the time, would you do it again? Would you sell again? Yeah, I don't know how to answer it. At the time, it seemed right. It was never about the money. You know, it's unfortunate it was ever announced because people know, you know, people come up to you and say, oh, you know, it, it's like, I'm the same Greg I was when I didn't have a dime. You know, if I can help you, I'll help you. So th that's a little weird to me, that aspect of it. I uh, know how people kind of... The 200 million. Yeah, they're saying, oh, you know, and it's like, you don't think about that. It's, uh, you, you just keep doing what you do and you, and you start the next business and you, and you just go for it. So it's, it's just part of it. How long did it take you to realize that you needed to do something else? Yeah, I worked for Monsanto for a year, not, not as an employee, as a consultant. I, I would have been a terrible employee because yeah. I just don't fit into that culture. Um, Too entrepreneurial. Oh, I, I, you know, and we'd have a meeting and then at the end of the meeting we decide... You know, I thought the decision was made and they would schedule the next meeting. And I'm like, are you stinking kidding me? In three weeks, we're going to meet again. Let's just go. We, we know the answer, but we would have to get alignment from six different groups and managers. And, and I'm not much on alignment. I like to, to go for it. So after a year, I could see it was time for me. And in that time, we had built this idea of 360. So we pretty much drove in and went for it. We've been very fortunate. You know, there's always challenges. Um, the biggest challenge we got is just the commodity price, which is a real blessing for us because it drives the need to change. And $8 corn, and I remember when we were here the first year, I don't remember exactly the first year, I can remember being on the grounds and a guy telling me, he called the elevator that morning, he had 805 and he did not sell. And I remember looking at him and saying, 805, what? he said, I think, Mike, it's gonna go to nine, Greg. He said, I think it's going to nine. And you and I all know the story what happened. And uh, no one was looking to make improvements in their farming operation, $8 corn or even $6 corn. At $3 corn, everybody in this ground, I farm. I know cost. And so I know the pain. And so I'm really excited what we can do here today to add value. That's what gets me going. And I know it's early in 360 to do business, but if you were looking ahead in a son or grandson, what would be the core basic tenants that you would insist that they had been well exposed to, to know where the business started and what could keep it successful for future generations? Well, first of all, they got to know that they have the ability to design technology that's real, that it is going to work. 
Second of all, you got to be surround yourself with people. No matter what, you're nothing about the right people. And third, it's always the customer's right, and he always wins. And you hear that all the time, the customer's right, and you say, well, what's that mean? That means, I remember we were in a Harrow business, and I had a grower call from Iowa, and he said he tore the hitch off the Harrow. And I couldn't believe it, because we built it really heavy, overbuilt it. And we went out and put a new hitch on, no questions asked, took, sent a welder, a mobile truck, and we welded it on. I had another neighbor of his say to me, then that winter, he said, do you know what happened there? And I said, no, and he said, he got that stuck in a wet hole and he unhooked and pulled his tractor out and they hooked the cable on from a perpendicular and they got two big crawlers on it and they pulled it out sideways and made that spin in the mud and that's what tore that hitch off. But you know, that guy did me more good. He spread word everywhere that Greg come out and put a new hitch on, no questions asked. At the time I, I knew, and it was a pretty good sized bill and I wasn't happy about it. Yeah. Never said a word. And that sold me more product than anything right. I ever done. Yeah. That's better than advertising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's the things you do. So I think if a grandson was ever gonna start in business, those are the three things. First above all, you gotta have the right product. If you don't have the right product, you're dead in the water. Every leader has one thing that they would hang their hat on, right? If some are design people, inventors, marketers, if you were to slug yourself with one word that sums up Greg Sauter. I, I like the marketing promotion side of it. I, I, obviously, I'm an inventor. Tim and I, we, we come up with ideas and we have a whole pipeline of ideas. But designing this show booth and working in front of that crowd is what I like the most. Can I make guys think? My job, Mike, is to make them uncomfortable. I better not be patting them all on the back. I need to be challenging them to say, you know, what's your weakest link? I was doing a meeting for Kentucky Young Farmers having a, a master's class. I had, them, I had them usually every year for about five hours. And, and I, the first time I started the class, I said, you must tell me the weakest link in your operation. And the one young man, about the sixth one in, said, Dad. I said, no, 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 no. No, I'm not letting you off like that. No, he said, my dad is my biggest, weakest link. And I wouldn't let him off of that until he told me that dad doesn't believe he should ever plant corn narrow in the 38 inch rows. Okay, I gave, and I said, okay, maybe we do have a weak link here. But you have to determine your next step. You know, we are meeting with a family from New Zealand and they're struggling. It is really painful over there. I mean, they're, they're way below their break even. And we were talking about what is your next step and for them, their next step is figuring out nitrogen. How are they going to make nitrogen effective but not cost so much for them? And that's that's his next big step. He's got the population now. They're planting 40,000. In New Zealand, you got all the perfect, never gets above 70 degrees, rains all the time, but they're just mismanaging their nutrient. That's what you got to discover. So my job is to help them do that. So that's why I like marketing, promotion, and showing the show business. That That's what I really like. You know, like in Precision, we designed a mobile marketing truck. Extremely successful. Eight, 9,000 people a year we could put in that classroom. And it was almost like Disney World. You give them an experience where when they left, they were just in awe. That's what you got to do. You got to impact people's lives. So that's what you, I like. You've always taken a different approach at these events where, you know, it's other people are blitz glam, shining the machine, you're in the pit. Yeah. Teaching and educating. Yeah. I like that side of it. I like that side of it. Uh, talking about corn is a great crop. Corn's my favorite. I love soybeans, but 
Corn will humble you every time. Anytime you go to the field, you learn something because you'll see your mistakes, whether you like it or not. And you got to open your eyes and see it. And you should take your wife along because nobody's better than your wife at pointing out your errors. They can keep you humble in a hurry. And so take somebody with you and they should ask you, why, why do you have, why do we have three small ears here in a row? Take it back to the source. Was it the planter? Was it, you know, we planted on a really cold, going into a cold, rainy spell. We shouldn't have because we were so nervous. And, and that's how you learn, you know. So that's what my job is to do at the company. As a leader, you know, I should be the spark plug. I, I should take our young sales folks. And, and when they leave here after three days of working with me, there should be nothing they should be scared to answer about our products. So. 360, how many employees do you have currently? Oh, you know, I should know that off the top of my head. I'd say we're about 60 employees right now. So, so it's small business. And it is. It's very small. Do, so. With the way ag is going, uh, how often do you think we'll see a small business start up with the scale that you can create? Um, you know, it, it's tough to get to get in and get noticed. It's... Um, it's a brutal game. I mean, the big fish will eat you <laughs> if, if they can. And that doesn't make them bad guys. That's they're, they're doing the same thing I'm doing today. Every big booth OEM here is trying to have an impact on a grower. All of us are saying, how do we get these guys to come in off the street and talk to us? Um, so you have to make a difference. Uh, can it be done? Absolutely. If you have good ideas, it can be done. Too many times I'll talk to people that want to start a business and it's not a great idea. And the hardest thing for me is to tell them, I don't think this is going to work. And I'm not going to pick on anybody, but there's a company I'm speaking of directly in mind. And I know the father's son and they basically have sold the farm to make it go. I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you, I feel for them. I drove by their booth this morning and I looked at it and I said, there's a part of me that want to stop. I want to just say, I know nothing, but can I help you? <laughs> you know, and that, that sounds arrogant, but we've been in the game long enough, you can just sense when you, you, you know, what you need to do something different, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, so when people come to us, we try to help them if we can. A lot of young farmers will come up with an idea and they say, will you help me patent it? Absolutely. We'll get them our patent attorney and we'll get them started. Some of those turn out and some do not. Yeah. You know, the reality is you're going to spend $12,000 on a patent. You better hope that you got something worth worth working on. Well, even so. when you have a great idea, it's, it's so much more challenging. Yeah. And, it, and then who's going to sell it? That's what I told the last young man. I said, well, who's going to sell it? Well, I'm going to sell it. I said, what do you mean by you're going to sell it? Are you going to do direct sales? I mean, who, who's going to be your channel? How are you going to represent that in the marketplace? And who's going to represent, service it? And, you know, that that's the key. How are you going to advertise it? You know, um, so those are things that, that we use. And it, it's, you know, we watch social media, for example. We're using it really. I made a gutsy call this year. We've always had 2,000 farmers come to my farm for four days. And I decided that we we're going to radically change that. We're going to do a virtual with social and, and YouTube and that. And it's gutsy. I think we're going to be very, very fortunate and lucky. I think it's going to work better. And so we're going to reach tens of thousands instead of, of 2,000. And that's, that's the goal. You know, how do we educate? When you, um, you know, have you just put this through the filter of the business, when you're done, when you call it quits, what are you, what are you hoping that your employees and customers have to say about it? Well, you know, obviously, um, 
first and above all, they know that we exhibited Christ in our life and that we helped in time of need. Um, you know, life isn't perfect, and we have families that are struggling, either a sick child or themselves or a wife. You know, there's where you step in. But after that, hopefully they say, you know, Greg made me, he challenged me to do things I never thought I could do. That's what drives me. If I can stretch them, take them out of their comfort zone, and make them do things they never thought they could do. A precision, I would take local farmers and put them in a role. And it wasn't long, we would turn them into a professional regional manager. No, it took some time. And I can think of one in particular, awesome individual. Really good at what he does. There had been a time he'd have looked at you and said, I can't even speak it in a crowd. And now he's out doing meetings. So give people an opportunity. So I'd like to have him say, you know, Greg gave me an opportunity and he believed in me and it worked. And um, I'm a better person for it today. I sure hope that's what they would say. We'll see. You know, you have to have some humility in this business. If you get thinking too much of yourself, you'll find out pretty quick you'll fall. If you don't think you need to be humble, just go on social media and listen to farmers. And you'll find out pretty quick what, what people think. Hopefully, Mike, at the end of the day, they would say that our family had a positive impact on a lot of people. So... Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like while we have the cameras running and people understand your business and where you're coming from? Well, you know, this I would say, you know, we got we, we were talking there that one segment about starting a new business and you said, is there opportunity? I'll just say this, don't ever give up. The first farm show I ever went to, a pretty prominent businessman come and said, I, I don't know if I should say this to you and Cindy, but you'll never make it. And I just smiled because he didn't know the constitution of Greg and Cindy. And uh, I mean, we did on the road, you know, we homeschool our kids because we traveled and they were at shows. They were raised up at farm shows. I mean, they were babies. And, um, you know, it, Cindy is 90% of the reason my success. She wouldn't give up and she knew the business. And, you know, we'd work till one o'clock at night in a motel processing invoices while kids are sleeping. The next day we're at the show again. And, and so, Never give up. Greg Souter should never say to you, I don't think that's a good product, it won't make it. Only you know what you have inside of you to make it work. We need small businesses. If we think the John Deere's, the Case, the Kubota's, uh, the Agco's have all the answers, we're, we're mistaken. Not that they don't do good stuff, but we need small inventors of products that are willing to take a shot. I don't want you to risk the whole farm, but be willing to put the hard work in. It'll be harder than you ever thought was possible. You better not want a lot of sleep, and you better be willing to have disappointment. And when that happens, you just start over again. And when a product fails and it doesn't work, I mean, um, chain roll, we work through Christmas every day, our whole family, Cindy and the kids and I, and we had 3D printers running, and we would print a new one every night it didn't matter if it was Christmas break. And we had one young engineer that came in every day over Christmas, and we worked through that whole Christmas break. And we had so much fun, I can't tell you. And that day that it happened, when Cindy and all of us, and when we got the right curvature, and when it worked perfect, I remember we just like, yeah! Everybody was cheering and psyched, and we went home that night late, and we said, we got it. How do you put a dollar figure on that? That's a family moment. You know, I remember one night at one o'clock, in our kitchen on the island, Cindy and I were pushing finger pickup units, fingers, into Play-Doh. 
uh, kids had some Play-Doh there, and Cindy started pushing in. We were looking, and we shaped a finger by what we saw in Play-Doh. Well, all of our kids know that story. Now I guess everybody else does yeah. too. <laughs> but, you know, those are moments that that's what defines your family. And that makes them so there may be our youngest is 13, our oldest is 31, and they don't quit. They don't quit. And uh, there can be disappointments in life, and you don't quit. So I think we need to be careful if we make it sound like this is so hard. What you don't know is okay. Maybe it's good you don't know how hard it is. You just get in and go. A big thanks to Greg Sauter for sharing his personal story with us, and also to GKN for helping make this podcast possible. Check out GKN at www.gknoffhighwaypowertrain.com. I hope you'll sign up with us to receive this podcast free on your favorite podcast channel, iTunes, Google Play Store, SoundCloud, or, or any of the other ones that you prefer. It'll make sure you're alerted as soon as we post the next episode. And a special thanks to our pros here in our multimedia department, namely Jeff Lazeski and Joe Kinsley. Thanks for joining the one-on-one -on -one conversation with Greg Sauter. Till next time, I'm Mike Lesseter of Farm Equipment, No-Till Farmer and Precision Farming Dealer, signing out on How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs. <laughs>